Somebody else that doesn't go to the bridge that I wish uh, I had had a chance to get to know is a guy named Dave. Uh, Dave was a really nice guy. Lived a fascinating life, as a matter of fact. Grew up in a, in a simple life, really humble beginnings. Family, farm, worked on his dad's farm. Youngest of eight uh, brothers and decided very young that he was going to follow God. And, and it became very well known as as a follower of God. He often read the Bible, he prayed, even wrote love songs to God that became very popular and everybody around kind of knew who he was. As a young adult, he went off to war and even there he did really well, became national hero and eventually decided to go into politics. In time, he became very wealthy and, and, and very highly respected leader. He was at the top of his game. Life couldn't be any better until one night Dave uh, caught uh, his neighbor's wife in his eye and lured her into an affair. In time, uh, she got pregnant and her husband was active duty and deployed. So everybody knew it wasn't her baby, but somehow his baby, but somehow uh, they managed to keep the secret of the affair until Dave's friend, Nate, uh, felt the Lord prompting him to do something about it. He found out about it. He had to do something about it. Question, what should Nate do? Given that scenario, what should he do? Given the knowledge that he now has, what should he do? What should he sh say? Should he say anything? Should he do anything? Should he just let it go? Before you answer the question, I should tell you, in case you haven't figured it out, that this is not a hypothetical situation. This is a very real story in Scripture that actually happened. And so Dave is King David. Nathan is the prophet of God. The neighbor's wife, of course, is Bathsheba and her husband, Uriah. And Nate, Nathan, is in a horrible situation. I got to tell you, one of the things I love about the Bible is that it's just blatantly honest about this stuff. I didn't pull any punches. It's very real about people's strengths and weaknesses. And more importantly, what I love about the Bible is it gives us answers. It really gives us answers to very real life situations that we sometimes find ourselves in. So today, in the time that we've got, the question I want to ask and, and attempt to answer from Scripture is what do you do when somebody you love is doing something destructive? What do you do when somebody you love is making bad choices and you become aware of it? Now, I understand we're not talking about little stuff today. We're not talking about, you know, do I tell that guy his fly is open or not? Do I, do I tell that gal she's got spinach in her teeth before the cameras get out? I mean, you know, we're talking about simple little things. We're not talking about your wife wears a dress two sizes too small and then ask you, does this dress make me look fat? You know, I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm talking about life issues. I'm talking about these, these far-reaching kinds of things that have huge implications. may not be an extramarital affair, but it might be a coworker who's cheating the company. It, it might be a friend with a mean spirit that's going around hurting people with his or her tongue. It might be somebody you see who's being insensitive or even abusive to their spouse or their kids. It might be a friend who's abusing drugs or alcohol and it's killing them and you know it. What do you do when you find yourself loving someone who's making bad choices. Can we just agree this morning that we've all been in that situation at one time or another? Have we all been there? Do your heads like this. We've all been there, done that. The question is, what do we do? And for many, the answer to that question is, I don't know what to do. 
I didn't know how to act. I didn't know what to say or not say. So ultimately, I didn't do anything. I mean, you want to deal with it. You want, you, you want to be able to help them, but, but, but everything in you says, no way, no, I, what right do I have to say anything anyway? And I don't know what I would say if I did go. I mean, how would I even start the conversation? And, and do I even have any right? I mean, I'm not perfect myself. And this whole kind of process goes on in our minds. Can we just agree up front? You guys know me, know that I love to start with a universal amen. Can we just agree that, that when you find yourself in this situation, it is not an easy situation to be in? Can I get an amen in the room? Amen. It's one of the toughest things that we ever deal with in life when someone we love is doing something that we see that perhaps they don't see or choose not to see or in denial about seeing. We know we have to do something. The good news is help is on the way. So we're going to walk through that story today of Nate and Dave. We're going to talk about that story in just a minute. So if you go to your Bibles, brought your Bible, go to 1 Samuel chapter 12 or 2 Samuel chapter 12, I should say. You can go to the Bridge NC app. If you haven't downloaded that app, do it right now uh, and, and, uh, and pull up the notes because all of the scriptures that I'm going to be talking about are here. We're going to walk through 2 Samuel chapter 12 together and, uh, and just pull out from that conversation, the, the steps to having this kind of very difficult situation. So while you're finding that in your Bible, while you're uh, pulling up the app, uh, let me just give you three reasons why you can't ignore this when you find yourself there. Three reasons why we, we should be able to and we should be willing to tell the truth in a loving kind of way. First of all, because Jesus modeled it. That's exactly the way Jesus uh, came and lived. In fact, if there were two words that describe Jesus uh, succinctly, it would be grace and truth. Jesus came in grace and truth. John 1, 17, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If you don't believe that, just read the Gospels. Read Matthew, Luke, and John and, and watch Jesus in action. You will see him telling hard truths, especially to groups like the Pharisees, especially to people like hypocrites. I mean, he was very direct with them and very honest with them about the realities. And yet you see him dealing with, with people caught in sin and, and being incredibly gracious toward them, like the woman caught in adultery. He said, where are your accusers? I, I don't condemn you. Just quit doing what you're doing. Quit sinning. So you can see grace and truth. You see God's loving, accepting, willingness to forgive, and yet you see God's holiness and righteousness that can't be ignored. That's how Jesus always comes to, to us. My favorite illustration of grace and truth is a playground with a fence around it. So get that picture in your mind, a playground with a fence around it. Anybody agree with me playgrounds are fun? Playgrounds are fun, right? Does the fence around a playground stop it from being fun? No, it doesn't. What does it do? It protects the kids from predators getting in and from the kids from wandering off, right? So it's a protective boundary that makes it even more fun. So here it is. The playground without a fence is fun but unsafe, and a fence without a playground is a prison yard. <laughs> So the playground is God's love and grace and forgiveness. The fence is God's call to holy living. It's the boundaries that he sets for us. And Jesus comes with both. In the process, he role models to us how to come to the people in our lives that we see are getting in 
trouble. Let me say one more way and we'll move on, okay? Here's my favorite way to illustrate it. I love the playground because you can get that picture, but here's my favorite personal way. Truth without grace is like Brussels sprouts. It may be good for you, but it sure don't taste good. It's just, okay? Grace without truth is like cotton candy. Tastes pretty good, but it'll rot your teeth eventually. Right? And so we need both grace and truth. Why? Because Jesus modeled it for us. The second reason we need to come in grace and truth is because personal growth requires it. Personal growth requires it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, speaking the truth with love, we will grow up in every way into Christ who is the head. When we hear the truth in a loving way, what happens according to Scripture? We grow up. That's what happens. Hear me. When there's all truth and no grace, there's no joy. When there's uh, all grace and no truth, there's no growth. I consider it one of the great blessings of my life. You've heard me mention him before. He went to heaven uh, in 2020. Uh, but, uh, but a man that was in my life all my entire adult life who spoke grace and truth into my life over and over and over again. And there were times when I was encouraged by the things that he said. There were times when it made me so mad I couldn't hardly stand it. And I'd go away and 24 hours later go, ah, he's right. <laughs> I need to hear him, you know, but, but I am who I am and I've done what I've done because there was somebody who cared enough about me to speak the truth and love to me when I needed to hear it. And I pray that you've got people like that in your life too. In fact, I'll ask you, who's, who's doing that for you? Well, Pastor Andy told us a moment ago and Kevin that, that we're in, the, in this, the, the last phases of signing up for the winter semester of bridge groups. And somebody said, well, I don't have time for a bridge group. I don't know if I even like the idea of a bridge group. But, but hear me, guys, I, I don't care if your church has 100 people or 1,000 people in it. You are not going to get that kind of interaction with fellow Christians in a Sunday morning worship service. We're going to sing. We're going to hear the word. We're going to do important things. But you're not going to get this level of support and accountability until you get into a small circle of people who love you enough and know you well enough to speak the truth to you in love. And so if you've never been in a bridge group, let me challenge you, get in a group, be a part of those relationships as a part of your own uh, personal growth in Christ. Why do we speak the truth in love? Because Jesus modeled it and because their personal growth requires it, but mostly, and we're going to get into our story, but mostly we speak the truth in love because eternity demands it. James 5, 19 and 20, my brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns the sinner from the error of his ways will, you want to read it or you want me to? Will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. It's not an overstatement to say if someone is headed down a path away from God and you come to them in grace and truth, you may very well save their lives. And not just their physical life, you may save their eternity. And so why do we speak the truth in love? Why do we come in grace and truth to the people in our lives, particularly those that we see making bad choices in life? Because Jesus modeled that for us and we're called to be like him. We just sang, Lord, help me be more like you. I'll give you everything. And because people's growth requires it, our growth requires it, ultimately eternity demands it. But okay, I hear you, Pastor Jim, but, but, but what if they don't listen? What, what if they get mad at me? 
What if they reject me as a result of what I say? And I need to be honest with you, there's a risk. There's no question. There is a risk. There is a potential price to pay when you make the decision to go talk with somebody about some of these kinds of subjects. I, I, I've, been, I've had these conversations so many times over the years as a pastor and as a Christian and as a brother in Christ. And, and some of those conversations have gone really, really well. Some of those conversations have been such that they've challenged people to the point that they repented and got their lives on track. And, and frankly, I could call them at three o'clock in the morning, they'd drop everything and come and serve me because they know that my willingness to speak the truth in love is what saved their lives. And there are other people who don't have nice things to say about me <laughs> because they didn't receive what I said well. So. Uh, please hear me. I'm not suggesting that you do something that I've never done, and I'm not suggesting that it's easy. Sometimes it's hard, but here's the principle, and we'll put it on the screen because I want you to see it. I must care about people's eternal destiny more than I care about my current relationship with them. Read it with me. I, come on, I must care more about their eternal destiny than our current relationship. I've had a lot of those folks come back a year later or three years later and say, Pastor Jim, I couldn't receive it when you said it, but thank you for loving me enough to tell me the truth. I'm finally getting my life together. You gotta care more about their eternity than your current relationship with them. I learned this lesson 40, uh, none of your business years ago. Um, and I may have shared this story with some of you, but I was, when Kim and I were first seeing each other, our wedding anniversary is coming up in a couple of weeks. We've married 45 years, so it was at least 44 years ago. I'm sitting at the dining room table in, uh, in Kim's parents' home, and Mr. Lloyd, who was a, a godly man, song leader, deacon over at First Pentecostal Holiness Church for, for many decades, is with the Lord now. He's talking to his oldest daughter's mother-in-law, who was not a believer at the time. And while he's talking to her, they're talking about a family gathering and they're talking in very jovial terms and they're having a good time, good, long, friendly conversation. I'm at the other end of the table reading the newspaper and, and, and I heard, I wasn't looking because I was reading the paper, but I heard his voice change and it took on a, a, a gentle but serious tone when he called her by name and said, have you given your life to Jesus yet? And there's a pause. And then he said, well, you know, there's a, heaven to be gained and a hell to be avoided. I love you. Goodbye. And he hung up and I said, Mr. Lloyd, how, how, did, how does she receive that? He said, she knows I love her. I hope she received it well. But here's what I know. She will not stand before God in the final day and say, Mr. Lloyd never warned me. She eventually gave her life to Christ before she went home to heaven. That said, how do you do this 
When you find yourself in a position where you know you feel compelled to do something about someone, remember Dave and Nate? We're going to track through their story. We're going to see how Nathan, the prophet, did it and did it well and got the result that he wanted. And so this is one of those, capture it, keep it, write it down, go to the app and get the notes, keep it in a safe place when you find yourself in a position. These are the six steps. These are the six dynamics that you need to process through in your own heart and mind when you decide that God's calling you to come in grace and truth to somebody. Can I beg you to keep this one? This is as practical as I've ever preached anything, and it's as critical in these times when so many people are falling away. Do I need to say that again? It's critical in these times when so many people are falling away, when there's so much pressure from the culture for us to believe that Christianity is stupid, that all preachers are crooks and all Christians are idiots. This becomes incredibly important relevant to our times. So quickly, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on any one of them. Six dynamics, six steps to coming in grace and truth. Step number one, before you ever go, is be sure it's eternal, not personal. Be sure it's eternal, not personal. Second Samuel, we'll look at chapter 11. Let's, let's go to the end of chapter 11 before we get into chapter 12, because here's what it says. The Lord was very displeased with what David had done. Who was displeased? It was the Lord that was displeased. This was not Nathan's pet peeve that he was going to go talk to David about. This is God who's displeased with what David uh, is doing. What David did was clear cut. It was a sin. It was wrong. It was destructive. So the first question you have to ask yourself when you get this idea, I need to go talk to that person. Is this biblical or is it just my pet peeve? We had a pastor in, in my former church who got a heart for bikers and decided to start a biker ministry. And he was Ivy League as they come, you know, sweater over his shoulder, tied in front of his neck, kind of suburban guy. And he's going to go start this biker ministry and ultimately did some phenomenal things, even among one percenters. He led some one percenters uh, to prison uh, who were in prison to Christ and did some amazing kind of things. But when he first started that, he got to where he would show up at work in his leathers and do-rag. And it was so stupid looking. <laughs> Everything in me wanted to pull him aside and say, dude, you are not a one percenter. Quit trying to look like one. And don't you dare get a tattoo on your face. Don't do it. Everything in me wanted to go talk to that guy. But I had to process through. Is this biblical or is it just a pet peeve of mine? It's just a preference of mine. And I decided to let him process through that. And ultimately, he was able to do some amazing things in that community as he reached out to them. So the first question you got to ask is what? Is this biblical? Is this eternal? If it ain't eternal, let it go. Trust God with it. If it's just a personal preference, keep it to yourself. Second step then is you got to ask God if you're the one to address it. Just because he's shown it to you doesn't mean you're supposed to be the one to address it. Sometimes God shows us things because we're supposed to do something about it. And sometimes he shows us things because we're supposed to be praying for the right person to do something about it. There may be some people in your life that need, that need somebody to come talk to them, but you ain't the person to do it. Maybe somebody else that needs to do it. And so it's either an action step or a prayer list kind of thing. And you've got to ask the question, which one is it? Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. Who sent Nathan to David? 
the Lord did the sending. Now hear me, and this is, this is critical. Um, God didn't go to David in a dream. God didn't go to David in an audible voice. He sent a person, and not just a person, but he sent a person who was able to recognize God's leading to go and a person who had earned the right through service and love to speak hard truths to David. There was no doubt when Mr. Lloyd was talking to his oldest daughter's mother-in-law that she knew he loved her and his only motive was his love for her. There was no doubt in David's mind when Nathan come, this is a man standing in front of me who loves me and he's proven over and over and over again. Now hear me, this conversation isn't easy. It wasn't easy for Nathan, but God told him to go. So he had no choice but to go. Hear me, there should always be a sense of reluctance to have a conversation like this. There should always be a check. Don't look at them, but we all know people who are itching for a fight. I said, don't look at them. Come on, look at me, look at me, look at me. I, we, we just, they just love to confront. They're just looking for stuff that's wrong so they can call it out. I need you to understand that, that just because you see something going on doesn't necessarily mean you're the one to talk about it or talk to them about it. Well, I just say it like it is. I just tell things the way they are. Well, I'd rather tell things the way they can be personally. But you got to ask yourself the question, am I the person? Hear me, guys. If you can't wait to get in their face, then it's either not you to talk to them or you ain't ready to talk to them. God never gives us a license to wreck lives with our tongue, even when we're telling the truth. Jesus called us to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. So when you find yourself concerned with somebody and what they're doing before you go, you ask yourself, why am I concerned? How does their, what, what, what in their behavior triggers something in me? And if I go, is it because of something that I need or am I going because of something that they need? You got to get your motives and your heart right or you don't go. Got it? Got it? Do you guys get it? It's like this, Proverbs 27, 6, wounds from a friend can be trusted. That says to me, make sure you're going as a friend before you go. Be sure it's eternal, not a personal pet peeve. Secondly, ask God if you're the right person to address it. And even if you are, are you ready to address it? Have you processed through the emotions of it? Number three, address the issue in person. Address the issue in person. Back to chapter 12, verse 1, 2 Samuel, when he came to David, he said, stop there. I want you, I'm, we're breaking this down in infinite detail, but I want you to understand the dynamics of what's going on. That tells me that Nathan went to David privately, which is exactly what Jesus tells us to do. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your fellow believer sins against you, and, and, and go and tell him where? in private what he did wrong. If he listens to you, you've helped that person to be your brother or sister again. In other words, don't send an anonymous letter. Don't send an email or a text. Go. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, did I say whatever you do? Whatever you do, don't gossip about it before you get there. 
Because if you gossip about it before you get there, you're going without God's blessing because he can't bless gossip. Read the Proverbs. Gossip made the list of the sins that God hates. So don't gossip about it before you get there. Talk to God about it. Maybe get counsel about it from somebody who's trusted and then go in person. Be sure it's eternal, not just a pet peeve. Ask God if you're the right person to go. And if you are, are you ready? If you are, address the person, the issue in person. Ready for number four? Be gentle in your approach, but be honest. Be gentle in your approach, but be honest. We won't take time to read all of verses seven, one through seven. You can read that in your personal time, but, but I'll just give you a breakdown of it in the interest of time. That, that tells us that Nathan didn't just walk in to David's presence and start blasting. He didn't just walk in and start venting on him and man, you're blowing it. You're just, how could you do such a thing? I can't believe you did that. He didn't go after him. In fact, in Nathan's case, he goes in and tells him a little story. He said, Dave, uh, can I get your perspective on something? Let's say there was a rich guy who uh, had big herds of cows and sheep and goats and stuff, just really, really wealthy guy. And then there's this other poor guy who only had one little lamb. And, and in fact, that lamb had become a family pet. I mean, he slept with the family, you know, ate with the family. Just, they named him. This is, you know, this, so you've got the contrast there. He says, so a visitor comes by to, uh, to hang out with the rich guy one day and the rich guy's going to feed him dinner. But instead of killing one of the many sheep from his herd, he goes and takes the poor guy's one little lamb and they have lamb chops for dinner that night. What, what, what should you do with that rich guy? And David blew up. He went, oh man, that's horrible. That's the worst thing you could possibly do. We ought to take that guy out. We ought to tar and feather him. We ought to burn him at the stake. We ought to just cut him up asunder. We ought to, he was so angry. He's just yelling. Look at verse five and seven, uh, five and six. David became very angry at the rich man. He said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, this man should, who did this should die. He must pay for the lamb four times for doing such a thing. He had no mercy. So you see the moment. And then Nathan looks David in the eye and he says, oh, David, you're the man I'm talking about. Can I be honest with you? Maybe this is a pet peeve, but I'm going to do it anyway. I've heard preachers preach this story and, and position it like Nathan is chomping at the bit to say these words and he's finally you're the man David I don't see that at all I see a brokenness in Nathan's heart when he says oh David don't you get it that's what you did you can have anything in this kingdom you want just speak and it's yours put your hand out and and they'll put it in your anything you want and Uriah had one wife and he was serving the nation on the front line and you took his one wife David, do you understand that you're the guy I'm talking about? It was an incredibly emotional moment for both of them. Nathan has come. He's come to be honest with him, but he's come in a gentleness. He's come in a tenderness. Um, but still, he's honest about it. And I think that's where the ball gets dropped. 
for an awful lot of well-meaning Christians, we intend to go in love and compassion, and so we go and we talk to somebody, and emotion rises, and, and disappointment and fear take control, and, and before you know it, we just kind of blah all over them, and it just makes matters worse. We just kind of uh, let them have it, you know? Um, kind of like Larry the Cable Guy used to say, uh, my sister has a horse, and horse broke his leg, and we shot him. I don't know why the vet told us to shoot him. Now he's got a broke leg and a gunshot wound. I don't know how that helped, but... <laughs> just let you think about that one for a minute that's kind of what you're doing when you go in there and blast away it's like now they're now they're wounded and you've wounded them more i mean what's the old saying the body of christ is the only army on the planet that shoots its wounded we got to come honestly but we got to come in grace and truth so when you find yourself sensing God's call to go talk to somebody who's messing up, I'm not saying you have to think up some clever story like Nathan did, but I would suggest that you read and reread and read and reread Galatians chapter six, verse one. Let's read it now. Dear brothers and sisters, if another Christian's overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path and read this part out loud, come on, and, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Oh God, who am I that I would arrogantly challenge somebody who's messing up, but for the grace of God, there go I. Come honestly. Come gently. So be sure it's eternal, not just a pet peeve. Ask God if you're the right person. And if you are, are you ready? Are your motives pure? If you are that right person and you're ready, then address the issue in person. Don't send them a text. Go talk to them. Be gentle in approach, but be honest. And being honest includes number five, which is prepare them for the consequences of their choices. Prepare them for the consequences of their choices. You see, God didn't just send Nathan to David to confront him. He also sent him to deliver news of the consequences of his choices. Look at verse 11, 2 Samuel 12. Because of what you've done, your own household will rebel against you. He goes on to list a bunch more consequences. I don't want to take the time just to simply say to you, David didn't stop at that point. And again, it's one of the mistakes that we well-meaning Christians make. On the one hand, sometimes emotions take over and we can blast away. On the other hand, we want it to be better for them so badly that we'll start feeling sorry for them after we've told them this honest truth. And we find ourselves saying, oh, it'll be okay. Come on, you know, everybody messes up. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Well, I'm sorry. It may not be okay. At least not in the short run. And it may never be okay based on what you hope okay looks like. Because choices have consequences. You've heard me say that if you've been here 10 minutes. God gave us freedom of choice, but he didn't give us freedom from the consequences of our choices. He gave us free will, but there's always a cause and an effect. And so if, you, if you're here for their healing, you're here to help them see the road they're on, but you're also there to help them understand the consequences of their choices. All I'm saying is you do them a disservice if you give them a false hope. Your promise 
is to walk through those consequences with them. They say, you will not go through this alone. It's one of those kind of God things, I suppose, that what this message was planned months ago for this moment in time and this week. I even said last Sunday, I grieve when I find a pastor has fallen. And this week, I got a call from a pastor friend of mine in another state who has the responsibility, had the responsibility to go see a pastor who was failing. And today, he's telling that pastor's congregation what happened. And so I've been processing with them all week. And we're praying for that congregation today. These are real times and real issues that all of us have to face. Make sure when you do, make sure when you do that it's eternal, not pet peeve. Make sure that you're the right person to address it. And if so, if you're the right time and motive, talk to them in person, be gentle, but be honest and prepare them for the consequences. Prepare them for the consequences of their choices. And then finally, this is huge, assure them of a better future. Assure them of a better future. Look at verse 13. Then David confessed to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has, read it with me out loud, here we go. Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. And you you get the gist of what's going on? No doubt. David has said, well, it's all over for me. I'm never going to get past this. Life is over for me. And Nathan said, no, life is not over. I understand in this moment that it feels like it is. I understand in this moment that you think you can't even see past this thing, the choice or the consequences that you're having to face. But we serve a God in the restoring business. We serve a God in the resurrection business. And as long as there's breath, there's hope, there's life. And God works us into a pattern for good. In other words, we're there to help them up, not beat them down. We're to bring them back and to restore them into relationship with God and to use the gifts that God has given them no matter who they are or where they're from. So be prepared. If God leads you to speak to someone and they respond as David did, then uh, be ready to walk through them, walk with them through this. How could God love me now? He could never use me again. Be prepared to remind them that you've come to them like Jesus did in grace and truth. You've done the truth part. Now it's time to do the grace part. Make sure that you're helping them. Let's wrap this up. So is there somebody you've been feeling led to speak to? Somebody God's been speaking to you about, then pray with me this morning. Lord, give me the courage, the love, the right spirit, the wisdom, the words to go. When you find yourself resistant to that idea, say, oh, no, 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 who am I? I could never, no, it's no no work for me. Ask yourself the question, could it be that that person is still on the destructive path that they're on because no one has loved them enough to go to them in grace and truth? Maybe it's you that the Lord is calling to go or Maybe he's calling you to pray that the right person go. He's not calling you to ignore it.
Or maybe you're the one that messed up. And nobody in your life has had the courage to come and say it, but the Holy Spirit's saying it to you right now. And you know it. Then let me be Nathan for you for just a minute. Our God is a forgiving God. He's a restoring God. He's a God who specializes in resurrections. And if you'll come to him, he will receive you. And you've come to the right church, the right place, because we're a group of people who are wounded healers. People have been there, done that. God's restored us. We'd like nothing better than to help you get through your stuff too. You won't get judgment. You'll get grace and truth. So let's pray. Father, thank you for modeling for us grace and truth. Thank you for giving us this illustration of it, real life illustration in the prophet Nathan and King David. Thank you now, Holy Spirit, that you're guiding us and directing us and giving us wisdom to know what to do about the people in our lives that we know are heading down a path to destruction. Give us wisdom right now as to whether you're calling us to pray for the right person to go or you're preparing us to be the person to go. But help us to love enough, have the courage enough to not just ignore it and hope it goes away. You praying that prayer? I have a feeling there's people in this room, there's people watching online right now. There's somebody in your mind right now, you're thinking, somebody's got to talk to that person. I don't know if it's me, might not be me, but somebody's got to, so I'm going to pray the right person will, and if God calls me, I will go. You praying that prayer, guys? Or as I said, maybe... In these moments, the Holy Spirit's been the one speaking to you and saying, you know what, you can't keep down this path. Oh, you've been able to keep the secret for a while. But God knows. He wants to speak grace and truth into your life. Let him be the God of fresh starts for you today. Thank you, Jesus. Pray this simple prayer. Pray silently, pray aloud. You're talking to God, not me. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Give me a fresh start today. I realize there may be some consequences to the choices that I've made. Give me the grace to go through them with integrity. Give me the courage to face them. And then give me that path that leads to life everlasting, the abundant life you promised. In Jesus' name. Father, you know every person listening, you know the details of their lives. Speak life, speak grace, speak truth by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name.